0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Lily and I'll be reading from the Bible for us. Um, We're reading from Mark chapter 16, which is in the leaflets that you got as you came in. So Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid.
0: Good evening, friends. It is good to be with you. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. If you are new or you're visiting, welcome. So good to have you here on Easter Sunday, celebrating such great things together. And if you're online, at home, and you're sick, great to have you along with us as well. That was a, a quite a short Bible reading for a church service, you may have noticed. Of all of the accounts of the resurrection in the New Testament, this is the briefest, and well, it's a bit underdone, don't you think? In the age of Instagram and filters and kind of hyper news culture, this feels a little bit stripped back, a bit unpolished, and even a bit unfinished, a bit rushed. It's not exactly the ideal way to perhaps tell the story of Easter. I mean, it's missing some of the most vital things you need to make it compelling. Like seeing Jesus alive, perhaps, would be a good element to add into this kind of account of the resurrection. Or perhaps it could end with certainty and joy rather than fear and trembling. It's a bit disorienting. It's an interesting way to tell this story what it does really is it strips us back to the bare reality of Easter and leaves us with a lot of questions. In the end, it kind of forces us to reckon with the fact that the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is not just a question of history, but a living reality that demands us to consider. That's why Mark has left his ending so unfinished, to force us to reckon with it in the present to make sense of it which is very difficult isn't it the story of the resurrection of jesus it defies our categories it bursts the bonds of our imagination it it doesn't really fit neatly into the way we see our world and so it's not very easy to handle but at the same time i think perhaps at the moment our culture is longing for things to burst the bubble of our imagination just a little bit. Catherine May, writing in her book, Enchantment, about some of her realities of life after the pandemic, reflects on the the smallness of her world. She says this, there's been a yearning in me that I'm only just beginning to understand a craving for transcendent experience, for depth, for meaning making. This life I have, this life I have made is too small. It doesn't allow enough in, particularly after the pandemic and the hemming in that we've experienced. Some of the magic of life is kind of sucked out of things. If you're looking for something to burst the bounds of your imagination and to give you the transcendence perhaps you're lacking, then the resurrection of Jesus is it. And my prayer is that it would burst the bounds of of your vision this evening. Three things I want to say about it to help you understand the bewildering resurrection of Jesus. The first one is this. The resurrection of Jesus is actually concrete, not otherworldly. Particularly in the way that Mark tells it. It doesn't feel like a piece of myth or a piece of fantasy or just a piece of storytelling. Let me show you how that works. In this account, we begin with the women on their way to the tomb. Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark chapter 16 verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Now this story starts without the expectation of a miracle. This story starts with the reality of a dead body that is going to start smelling and needs to be anointed with spice, as a last homage, as a last act of love and devotion and honor. Here are three women not going, expecting a miracle, but expecting to find a dead body. There's no other reason they're going than to honor him in this way. The only hint in this opening of what is coming is in that wonderful laboring on the time of day very early on the first day, just after sunrise, just as the sun is peeking above the horizon of the dark. That's a beautiful metaphor for the whole resurrection of Jesus. The piercing divine light of life that breaks through the deep darkness of even the cross of Jesus Christ, bursting death forever. But the women on their way to the tomb aren't expecting the overturning of death. In fact, as they go there, they don't even know how they're going to get into the tomb. Did you notice that? And they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? I love this. They're on a mission, but they don't actually know how they're going to complete the mission. Right? You know this, right? If you've suffered a deep grief yourself, the fog of grief. These women have lost someone they love dearly, who's been wrenched from them, tortured, and executed. You can forgive the fog with which they walked to the tomb. this is their reality. And literally what enters into the story at this point is something very substantial and concrete and it's literally heavy. It's a stone. They don't know how they're going to move it to get in. But when they looked up having got there they saw that the stone which was very large, just reminding us its weightiness, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. As you would be if you were walking somewhere that you didn't think you'd get into, and then there's no death there but someone living. Can you see how in in the midst of all this, it's all very simple and plain? In every other gospel account, it's not a young man who's mentioned but an angel. But Mark kind of almost desupernaturalizes it for us. He doesn't want us to focus on the angelic nature of the person in the tomb. I asked some of my friends this week whether they believed in angels, and none of them did, which is interesting. That might be you tonight. But Mark's not asking you to believe in angels even. He's asking you just to consider the weighty realities that these women found. There's a concreteness to this story. A literal stone, a radical dis... Someone who wasn't there and someone who was. It's this combination of the everyday with the incomprehensible that makes these simple, brief accounts quite compelling. And they're asking us to reckon with something. That there is a historical anchor to the belief of Easter. That There are certain substantial things to be reckoned with. It stops us from dismissing this as a piece of allegory or, or a mythology or just a clever story made up it doesn't feel like any of those things, it feels like a bare account of just an extraordinary occurrence that these women have stumbled into. Now Christians over the centuries have found the resurrection for this reason to be a wonderful anchor for their faith. And whether you're here this evening in the midst of a deep love of the Lord Jesus or amidst of a lot of doubts, I think the resurrection gives you kind of an anchor to land That there is a reason today to not give up on the faith you have, however little it may be. That there is something standing in the middle of history, substantial and concrete and weighty enough that it still needs to be reckoned with even today. These simple brief accounts give us something to hang our life on even. But there's more for us here even than that, just the simple reality. That the resurrection of Jesus, as the, the young boy in the tomb tells it to us, means that Jesus is alive, just as he said he'd be. Just as he said he'd be. One of the things that happens because Mark tells us that this isn't an angel, doesn't name that in the story, is it kind of takes the focus of who he is and takes, puts the focus upon what he says. His message is the main thing that we're supposed to hear. Not supposed to be in awe of his presence in any particular way, but as he goes about describing what has happened, he couldn't be more boring or uninteresting, really, at all. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen, he's not here. It's kind of like one of the cleaners at the end of a gig at the Enmore when people rock up late, just kind of sweeping the floor and the people walking like, oh, you're looking for the, the musician guy. Yeah, you missed him. He's gone. Sorry. It's, 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 it's an extraordinary moment in history, and yet it's spoken so plainly, almost disinterested. Not disinterestedly, but it's just a mere clarification. Oh, I'm sorry. He's not in now. I'm sorry. Something happened and you missed it. The plainness of the message is supposed to make us pause and go, hang on, that's not normal. That's very interesting. That he is risen, that he is physically back to life again. That's what it means. It's not a spiritual thing that's happened to Jesus, but a physical one. He is breathing again. He's alive again as we are today. He's risen from the dead. If this is true, then Jesus is automatically distinct from every other human that has ever lived. Because all of us die, and none of us come back. And yet here is one, risen, alive again. But perhaps the more extraordinary thing that the, the young man says is not just that he is risen, but that is actually what he already said would happen. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. Didn't you think this would happen? It's literally been a few days since he told them this. In the garden of Gethsemane, he said this to them. You'll all fall away, Jesus told them. For it's written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. I mean, it's a remarkable thing to claim that, that you will die and you will see people again. And this simple telling of the facts by the young man in the tomb is actually a radical affirmation of Jesus. Jesus, who's not present in the story, except for his words, the focus isn't on him present, but upon the things he said. What he said would happen has happened. The most remarkable and difficult and impossible thing he has ever said has come true. And therefore, we can say a whole number of things. First of all, maybe that Jesus is who he says he is. Remarkably and finally, that the word of those who executed him, those who put him on trial, those who condemned him to death, those who considered him nothing, that those words are all null and void. Jesus has not been and will not be defined by the actions of any human, but only by what he says about himself. The resurrection of Jesus rejects all claims on him, but what he says about himself. And so is a radical affirmation of his extraordinary and distinct nature, and on how every promise of him and every vision he has of God is true. This is, I think, the bewildering center of the resurrection account. I think this is why the women are so disoriented at the end, because if this is true, if the message they have heard is true, then there has been a radical rupture in the very heart of the universe. The resurrection comes with this bewildering truth and glory. Did you notice what the the women say at the end? What happens to them? They're told to go and tell Peter and the disciples to kind of pass on the message. What do they do instead? Trembling and bewildered, the women went out, they fled out from the tomb, they ran away, and they said nothing to anyone because they were terrified. This is not the way to end the resurrection account. You should end with joy, maybe crying, lots of happiness, perhaps shouting, right? With joyous certainty, not with fearful fleeing. But maybe their response is accurate, if the young man is right. If Jesus is who he says he is, then lots of things are now true. Jesus' radical claim that God loves sinners and failures and outcasts is true. That God in Jesus is ending all human oppression and spiritual oppression is true. That God in Jesus is healing the world of all the curse and illness, unrolling and unfolding death is true. That he can forgive the sins of anyone is true and that the the path of power is laid through service and sacrifice is also true that he brings about the kingdom of God and eternal life is true. So many radical things come true if the resurrection is true. Do you know the last thing that Jesus affirmed about himself when he was on trial before he was condemned and then executed? What was the last thing he radically affirmed? It was this. This is when he's on trial. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah? The son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. After this point, he's literally condemned. But at this radical moment, he affirms something about himself. That he's the chosen one, that he will come to the right hand of God, the Father. He will be given authority and power and glory, and he will one day display that to the world. If Jesus is raised from the dead as he said he would be, then this claim is true too. In fact, the resurrection is the radical declaration of this truth that he is God's right-hand man, the Chosen One, the Messiah, that he has become king of a kingdom that can conquer death itself, that can unroll the sad things of the world, that will roll into eternity with a power and light unimaginable because of him who lives and reigns forever, who was dead but now is alive. In the resurrection of Jesus is a radical rapture. Rupture at the center of things. A permanent transcendence and glory has invaded the earth. And a kingdom has begun that no human can stop. No wonder the women are bewildered. These are big things. Huge things. The resurrection of Jesus should leave us Overwhelmed with the reality of the hope that we could have. But the possibilities. No, it's not a bewilderment that's born of a confusion and an uncertainty. It's actually bewilderment born of certainty. Born of the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And how can all this come true? I can't even imagine. But if he is who he says he is, then it will. So, friend, tonight, this Easter night, let Jesus burst the bubble of your imagination of where this world is going, of where your life could be headed, of what will reign at the end of the day. It will be Him, He who lives forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, bless us this day with such a sure sense of who Jesus is. As the women saw the reality and were bewildered by the depth of what it meant, may the riches of the resurrection find their home in our hearts tonight. That Jesus lives and reigns and will reign forever. The light has broken the dark Father, that all the sad things will come untrue in his power and love and strength alone. Oh, Lord, break our small vision of who he is and what he is doing. And help us sense his glory tonight.